Okay, so the uh, uh, icebreaker question that we had today was not just like to kill time. What's your favorite sport was actually by design. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they do polls and surveys all the time on these sorts of things. Here in Hawaii, of course, there's a lot of options. If you are a person that likes team sports, the thing in Hawaii that, and it's hard to rank them because it kind of depends on who you're polling, right? But it's usually soccer, especially younger people, okay? Uh, another one, of course, is uh, volleyball. Uh, that's usually the two, that, those are usually the two team sports that rank uh, the best, uh, or the highest, excuse me. For individual sports, of course, you've got, you know, water sports. And a lot of people, for example, if you're a fisherman or you're a surfer, you know, you're not on TV in a contest or something, but that still can be considered a sport, swimming. Um, but for other kind of individual sports, the other top two are tennis and golf. Now, how many golfers here? By, by any, any golf? Okay, got a few. Um, one of the reasons I personally believe that golf is so popular is a tradition that started about 100 years ago. Uh, it's not a rule in golf. In fact, it, the, the, it's more of an informal kind of a courtesy thing, but it's a thing called a mulligan. How many of you know what a mulligan is? Or you've heard that term. It, mean, it basically means a do-over. Somebody hits a ball, it doesn't go the way you want, and so they kind of, eh, can I try that again? And, and it's a fun thing. In tennis, we have a similar kinds of courtesies. Those of you who are tennis players know what I mean when you say, you know, in a friendly game, it could be first ball in, meaning when you're serving, or if, if it's a questionable thing, you don't know whether it's really in or out, you could say take two, meaning start over. I think the reason that these sorts of traditions um, last, though, is because all of us at the core value the opportunity to have another chance. The Little Book of Jonah is a very fascinating book. It's really short, actually. You could probably read it in one sitting, maybe from five or six minutes. And I encourage you, if you haven't done that in a while, to do that. It's interesting because it's one of the most criticized books in the entire Bible. I don't know if you know that, but scholars, in particular those that don't believe the Bible, is, is altogether true. I uh, have criticized the book of Jonah for you saying, though, that there's no way possible that a man could get swallowed by a whale. And they go to great lengths to try to uh, explain away that. Or, uh, you know, some other people will just relegate it more or less to a kid's stories. Jonah and the whale, like a veggie tale thing, you know? Meaning, it's fun, it's like a fairy tale, you can learn some lessons, but, you know, don't believe that it's actually true. Well, it's actually been very well documented that men, in fact, when the whalers used to come to Hawaii, there's a lot of documented cases where people fell overboard and were actually swallowed by a whale. But whether or not it was a whale, a lot of times people spend so much time debating what was going on in the inside of that great fish, that's what the Bible calls it, that they forget that one of the key lessons here is not what's going on inside of that great fish. It's what's going inside of the man that's inside of that great fish. But you know, of all the timeless truths that are found in this little book, the greatest of them, the most important in my opinion is this, and that is that our God is the God of another chance. Do you or maybe someone you know need a do-over, a mulligan? If so, this book is for you. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't uh, done so already, uh, turn to the back of your bulletin. There's just a simple outline with two points in there. 
As you're doing that, just another informal survey on my part. Now, how many of you handle an unexpected call? Now, I'm not talking about the one from Mr. Scam Likely. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the one that says unknown or unknown caller. How many of you have gotten calls like this? Now, here, here's your options, okay? Option number one is you let it go straight to voicemail. Come on, be honest. All right, okay. All right. Or maybe you're in the house or in an office. You sell, tell someone else, can you get that? Get, have someone else take it. All right. But where, option number three is you take the call, but you have a, shall we say, a questionable attitude. Have you done that before? Well, that's exactly what happened to Jonah here. I don't know if he had an iPhone. But uh, as the Bible points out, it's when God called Jonah, he chose to take the call from God but with a very questionable attitude. You see, Jonah was a prophet, a spokesman for God. His whole life revolved around listening to God's voice and then delivering it to whoever God told him to give that message to. We don't know a whole lot about Jonah, but we know that when he heard this particular message, God called him to go and to speak to this group of people known as the Ninevites. Let's look at this passage together from Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. See, Jonah refused to do what God had told him to do. He didn't want to have anything to do with these people, the Ninevites. A little backstory for you. Nineveh was actually the capital city of a kingdom at that time, an empire known as the Assyrian Empire. This is a huge, sprawling kingdom that would have taken up numerous countries in the Middle East today. The Ninevites, though, you've got to remember, were famous, really infamous, because of their sheer brutality. They were a merciless people. They were the ones, if you didn't know, that actually invented what later what the Romans called crucifixion. The Romans kind of perfected it, but it was the Ninevites that created that unusual and really awful way to brutalize people. Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to deal with this type of person, this culture. They were enemies of God's people and dangerous people. So he took off. But how many of you know that God still had his direct line. Well, through a series of unusual circumstances, actually miraculous circumstances, those of you who know the story know it. Jonah gets on this ship. Great storm started to occur. The men on the ship didn't know what was going on. Uh, they eventually took Jonah, who had said, it's all my fault. They threw him off the ship. And as soon as they did, uh, the seas grew calm and they had great wonder, it says. But the Lord prepared a great fish, it said, who came and swallowed Jonah up. 
Now, if it was a whale, which we don't know, but it could have been, Jonah would have been miserable. A whale's a mammal, right? It's 98.6 body temperature. So you think it's been humid here lately? Okay. If you were in the belly of a great fish that was 98.6, and oh, by the way, probably about near to 100% humidity, okay? That guy would have been miserable. But interestingly enough, the Bible tell us, tells us that it took him three days and three nights to pray. You talk about stubborn. This guy gives new meaning to the term hard head, okay? But eventually, though, Jonah came to his senses, and when he did, he prayed. He asked God to forgive him. And when he gave him, or gave God, rather, a second chance, God gave him a second chance. See, that's the first lesson from this book. God will give you a second chance if you'll give him a second chance. See, each one of us, if we're honest, has been like Jonah at one time or another. Knowing full well what God had told us to do, we chose to go our own way and to do what we wanted to do instead. Sooner or later, though, when the circumstances of our life get, shall we say, stormy enough to get our attention back onto God, we realize that doing things God's way is a whole lot easier than trying to go our own way. But you know, the interesting thing that has happened to me many times and to many people I've talked to over the years is, so you turn around, you do an about face, that's what the old-fashioned Bible word repent means, just turn around. You do that, you start trying to follow the Lord, and then suddenly you get these memories of your past failures that really haunt you. You get those kind of thoughts in your head of like, you know, you've made such a mess of things. Not even God could put your life back together now. Or maybe it's this kind of a, of a statement. You know, there's... You know, you're, you're having that imaginary conversation with yourself. There's no way God could really forgive me, or maybe he'll forgive me, but he'll never use me in a significant way again after what I've done. And then you drift off into this other kind of conversation where you're saying, if only. If only I wouldn't have opened my big mouth. If only I wouldn't have done this. Or if only I would have done that. Problem is, that world does not exist. Now, make no mistake about it. The choices that we make have consequences. An old timer once told me many years ago, we're free to make our choices, but we are not free to choose the consequences, are we? And sin is like that. If you think about Jonah's life and his experience, it's so symbolic of what happens when any one of us chooses to go our own way. When Jonah ran from God, his whole life began to go down. The Bible tells us he went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the ocean. 
and down into the belly of that great fish. Because, you know, whenever we try to run from God, our life is going down. How many of you know that Satan tries to pull us down, but God only tries to lift us up? Now, the fact that our God is the God of another chance doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter to him. He's not just some old kind of grandpa guy that's kind of on Prozac. Do you know what I'm saying? That doesn't really care or that it doesn't really matter to him. It does. Sin is expensive. It costs you and me. And it costs others around us too, doesn't it? It says in the Bible that Jonah had to pay the fare. (laughs) Similar to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6 when he said, the wages of sin is death. Jonah suffered for his choices and so will we sometimes when we choose to go away from God. But again, when he decided to come back to the Lord, God gave him another chance, just like he will give to you and to me. Why? Because God, the God of the Bible, is the God of another chance. I'd like you to listen and follow along with me to what Bible scholar Malcolm Smith said about this issue. To retreat into the world of might have been is to endanger and harm ourselves in many ways. First, it slanders God's character. He knew before the foundation of the world what you would do and say, and knowing it all, he loved you. Now that my failure has been actualized in history, he doesn't stop loving me. To say if only is to place ourselves with the pagans and their finite gods, gods that can be surprised by the activity of their adherence. God knew what we would do and fully forgives us through what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Better than that, his love is an infinitely wise love, which not only forgives, but actually weaves our mistakes into his plan and turns them around for good. Those who have left the swamplands of what might have been are the supremely happy ones of this world. They've seen their mistakes admitted that they were wrong and turned from that way, knowing it's all forgiven through the cross. They now walk walk on through life, daring to believe that God in his wisdom actually turns those mistakes to good. You know, there are three important Bible words that every Christian should know and understand. First one is this, justice. What does justice mean? It means getting what you deserve. Sometimes things happen in life and we think to ourselves, I want justice, you know? Where's a cop when you need him when that guy just pulled in front of me over here type of story? Second good Bible word, though, is mercy. Not getting what you deserve. That's when you're the guy who pulled over and then the cop pulls you over. You don't want justice then, do you? You want mercy. 
But the third and maybe most important Bible word is grace, which means getting what you don't deserve. Did Jonah deserve another chance? In a way, no. He wasn't just some average guy. He was a spokesman for God. Do you and I deserve another chance? No, not if God's justice is there. We need grace, don't we? And that's what God does when he gives us another chance. We get mercy, and we also get grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. If you struggle with the world of if only, of or maybe what might have been, I want to encourage you to consider this set of verses, really one long sentence from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 3. Look at this. He says, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Well, once Jonah got that second chance, God took him back to square one. Look at these verses in chapter 3 of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Interesting that because when God took him back to square one and gave him that second chance, he, he told him the same exact thing. And oftentimes that's the case in our lives. When we get a second chance, God will bring us right back to what he asked us to do in the first place. Have you noticed that? Well, Jonah did go. He obeyed, all right. But interesting because he delivered anything but what anything from what we would today call a seeker-sensitive message, okay? Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. What's amazing, and I just had to say the word amazing since Pastor Brian is not here, What's amazing, okay, is that the Ninevites decided to change. It says that the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and put on sackcloth. See, without even a hint of knowing whether or not God would change his mind from what this angry prophet had told them was going to happen, These people had a wholesale turn from the most common person to the king himself. Look at this uh, next passage in chapter 3, verse 10. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. But look what happened at the end in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction, destruction rather, that he had threatened. See, God gave these people, this whole culture, a mulligan. He gave them another chance. 
Now, you'd think that the next verse would read, And Jonah rejoiced in what God had done and went back to Israel and told them the good news. That's not exactly what went down. Because the Bible tells us in chapter 4, verse 1, that Jonah was angry. Because why? But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. See, he was so convinced that this whole people group deserved judgment and deserved to be just nuked. That he went outside the city, the Bible tells us, set up a little kind of a lean-to shelter there and waited to see that, that God would destroy them. Now, again, a kind of a, another series of divine interventions. God created a plant to grow, and then a worm came and ate the plant, and then Jonah was even more angry. But God finally brought Jonah to the place where he was ready to listen and learn. Why? Because God wanted him to see why he had spared this city. Why he chose not to administer just justice, but mercy and grace. See, the other key lesson from this book of Jonah is this, and that is, since God offers us another chance, he wants us to give others another chance. Now again, put yourself in Jonah's Sandals, if you would, for just a few minutes. Jonah had grown up not, um, I imagine he was probably just a regular guy. Um, Israel was not a big country. It still isn't today. But he had grown up being taught, like good Jewish boys were taught at that time, that the nation of Israel was God's chosen people, that he was special. And as a result of that, other people were not as special. Of all the nations on the earth, God had chosen this group of people to show his privileges, his blessings, and so forth. But the trouble was, Jonah, like some of God's people throughout history, including us today, had concluded that just because he was special in God's sight, which is true, That made him better than other people, which is not true. See, Jonah was a patriot. He loved his country. He didn't want to go and give these people another chance. I think that he probably had a T-shirt that looked like this. You know, he just, he, he wanted to see these people destroyed. They were ruthless, merciless and he wasn't going to be a part of that. He was probably happy that God was going to destroy them. But God had to explain to him, which is found in chapter 4, he had to explain to him, don't you understand that there are 120,000 people in this great city that don't know their right hand from their left hand, not to mention all the animals? Do you know what that means? In plain English, if you're... If there's 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, how old are they? They're preschoolers. God knew. He cared about those kids. 
And he cared about the animals. He said, he said, you're more concerned about this plant that grew up and gave you shade than you are for all those people. But see, that's what prejudice does. Prejudice can come in many forms, of course. The most common one is race or ethnicity. You know, where we... Look, look at the etymology of the word prejudice anyway. What does that mean? It means to prejudge someone. That just because they're of this race or nationality, then that makes them this way. But that's what prejudice does. It blinds us. But how many of you know that prejudice is not only just have to do with ethnicity, skin color. It can have to do, you can have economic prejudice, social class stuff. You can have educational prejudice. Oh, you went to that school. You know what I mean, okay? And by the way, that sword cuts both ways. I've been in multiple situations where because, they, because I look the way I do, that people concluded things about me that I had an attitude of superiority, Mr. Haimakamaka. You know? I hope I'm not that way, but... The reality is sometimes people do that, and I think we do a pretty good job in Hawaii here compared to a lot of places. You know, we, we laugh because of people like Frank DeLima or Andy Bumatai that can make, you know, j jokes and cracks about each other's culture, and we just learn to deal with it. We just laugh it off. But the problem is we still have those things inside. We have to face it. This is especially true if we get to the point where we think God loves me more than he loves that kind of person. They don't deserve God's blessing. Now, some of you can relate to Jonah in more than one way. Certain people, maybe a whole ethnic group, at least in your mind, have mistreated you. Or maybe someone that you love. And ever since then, your or their life has never been the same again. And you console yourself at times, even though you probably wouldn't say this out loud, with the thought that maybe God has a special place down there. And that truth be told, no, I don't want to pray for those people. I don't want to go and tell them the good news of Jesus, because they deserve to go to H-E double hockey sticks. I want to be sensitive, because I know some of you have been through some painful things in life, and I don't want to minimize or trivialize that, but I want to challenge you today. Because you see, we need to realize that God loves everyone equally. Bible says that God so loved the world, not just you or me. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Have you ever considered that if you were the only person 
that ever lived on this earth, that Jesus would have still come and died for you? Because that's how much he loves you. And that's how much he loves other people as well. We need to get that lesson. Why? Because God, the God of the Bible, is the God of another chance. And another. And another. And another. Now I'm going to call the band up at this time, and as they come, I want to close by speaking to some of you who, well, for lack of a better term, maybe right now in a hell of your own making. You've been stubbornly resisting the Lord for a long time now and the help that he wants to give you. You've been miserable. <laughs> I feel like the heat is on. My question to you is, how long are you going to sit there and stay like Jonah and refuse to turn back to God? You're only prolonging your agony if you do that. The longer you wait, the more that you're going to forfeit the grace that could be yours if you turn back to him. Maybe you feel like you've been swallowed up, so to speak, by the problems that you have. Maybe for some of you, the thing that you have to deal with is a deep-seated resentment, an unforgiveness toward somebody or some race, some group of people. Your mind's in turmoil. You know what the right thing to do is, but you don't want to do it. But you know that your life's a mess and that you need to get it right with him. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you because you have an opportunity to turn today and experience another chance from God yourself. The solution is to turn back to Jesus. Now, I need to be honest. There is only one situation when God does not offer another chance, and that's after we die. The Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that face judgment, there is no second chance after we leave this earth. And I want to challenge you today, because some of you have come to church for a long time but never made a commitment to Jesus. You've never said, Jesus, I... I've listened about you. I've learned about you, but I, I need to commit to you today. I need you to be my master, my Lord. Do you want to do that today? Or maybe recommit. If you want to do that, bow with me. Pray with me right now. God will hear your prayer. Dear God, we thank you for every person making a decision today. I just thank you again that your spirit is faithful to draw us back to your deep and lasting love. But while every head is bowed and eyes closed, if you need to commit your life to Jesus, pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart right now. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for your love. Forgive me of my sins, all my blunders. Come into my life. Change me. Be my Lord. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, 
Jesus has already answered that prayer and he's in your life. But I want to encourage you. Would you let me or Pastor Danny or one of the elders know that you made that decision? We want to encourage you in that choice that you made today. Thank you, Father, for every decision. Confirm it now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.